1166 in the Bibles, if you haven't got it already. 1166, or over there. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Thank you, Pauline. Well, good morning. My name is Angie, and I am one of our occasional preachers here at Christ Church. I'm married to Steve, and we have three children. Um, right now, my job is to be at home with them. Um, but before I had the gift of doing that, I spent a decade studying theology and working in churches. So I'm finding now that often it's quite hard to sit down and make sense of part of the Bible, like this passage, when we have in the background all the ordinary chaos of our family life. Um, but this week, as I was thinking about this message, I realized that this tension of wrestling with eternal things in the light of cooking and laundry and all of our day-to-day -day living as a kind of tension that's at the very heart of our reading from 1 Corinthians. How is our present physical life connected with the life that is to come? Um, so let's pray now together as we dive into that question. Lord Jesus, you have done more than we can imagine in your death and resurrection. Please make our hearts larger today 
so we can grasp more of who you are in the life you're giving to us. Holy Spirit, open our ears and help us to hear from you now. Amen. So as Steve said, in the week since Easter, we've been exploring what the resurrection of Jesus means by looking closely at this one chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, you might be thinking, wait a second, are we still talking about Easter? Wasn't that five weeks ago? Um, well, it's kind of like the way it takes more than just one day to eat through all of your Easter chocolate, or at least it probably should. Um, our kids still have some Easter chocolate they've been rationing out the past few weeks. Easter is such a feast, it's such a celebration that each year it takes us weeks to even begin to get our minds around it again. As Christians, Easter is what everything hinges upon. Every Sunday is like a mini Easter. It's like a chance to come back to this reality that Jesus is alive. We want to keep on with the chocolate and the feasting week after week. St. Augustine said, we are an Easter people and Alleluia is our song. So we keep on singing that song by hearing what the Bible says about Jesus' resurrection. And this chapter in Corinthians is a good place to do that. We've been talking the past few weeks about how everything we believe rests upon the resurrection, that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. Last week, we heard about how because Jesus lives, those who belong to him will live also. This week, we're looking at what that means for us and our own bodies and our physical deaths. This section of Paul's letter is about what happens to our bodies in the resurrection. And Paul ends with this statement in verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now this is where the entire passage is heading. This is its main idea. But if you're a little confused when you hear this, you're not alone. Um, I've been reading the Bible for over 30 years, and I still struggle to make sense of it. With our reading today, we're stepping into a story that's already begun, and we're catching up this bigger part Paul's painting of the meaning of the resurrection. Paul wants to get into our heads that if we are followers of Jesus, just like we once looked like Adam, the first man of earth, so too one day we'll look like Jesus, the first man of heaven. So it might be helpful to remember a couple of things that have led us up to this. First of all, Paul is writing to a Greek church in Corinth which was a city in the ancient Roman Empire. The Corinthian church was largely made up of people who came from Greek or from Roman backgrounds. So their ideas about the next life had been shaped by all the various pagan beliefs that were floating around the ancient world. <laughs> Paul is trying to counteract those ideas and to shake the Corinthians out of their false thinking. He wants to impress upon them the shattering reality that Jesus is alive, that he was physically raised to life after his death, and we too will be physically raised. We're not Greeks, but we're often no different than them in how we think, and a lot of our ideas about heaven and the next life come from the same old pagan myths. Many people imagine God to be like an old guy in the sky, this guy up in the clouds with a white beard, surrounded by clouds, seated up high on a mountain, um, surrounded by gold. But this picture right here we have in our heads that we see in art and literature, this isn't the biblical God. This isn't the God that we believe in. This picture here is of Zeus, the God of the ancient Greeks. And many people keep on seeing God like that, 
And we also keep thinking that heaven is just a nice place we go to when we die. It's a place somewhere in the clouds where we can eat all we want and lie on a beach forever. But this idea is also a pagan idea. It's not from the Bible. Instead, the Bible gives us a really different picture. If we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. Jesus himself is the image of God. In Jesus, God came and walked with us. And after he was crucified and resurrected, Jesus came back as an actual human, not as a spirit or as a ghost, but as a physical man who had scars in his hands and who walked down dusty roads and who ate bread and fish and who sat around campfires with his friends on the beach. When we begin to think about the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus, we have to begin with the actual physical resurrection of the body of Jesus. John Upsyke, the writer, makes this point in his poem. He says, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrence. It was not as his spirit and the mouth and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The church will fall, Updike says, if we do not believe that Jesus rose in his body. So I mention this because this belief is essential to how we understand our passage today in 1 Corinthians. When we think about how we will be resurrected in our own bodies one day. Jesus was raised as a man, and he is still a man. He has taken humanity with him into heaven. Last, later this week, we'll celebrate on Thursday the Ascension, when Jesus went back to be with God the Father. When Jesus ascended, he did so in his physical human body, a body that he still has now. It is a wild idea when you start to think about it. There is something human now in heaven, but what exactly is heaven? The other belief we have to get into our heads to understand this passage is that Jesus will one day unite heaven with earth. And what that will look like might not be what we expect. Again, we often think like the ancient Greeks and that we imagine heaven to be someplace up there, up beyond the clouds. But this whole chapter of Corinthians is giving us a new vision of heaven, of the new creation that Jesus will one day be bringing. What will happen at the end of the world is that a new heaven and a new earth will be created as Jesus will join heaven with earth and restore all of creation. This picture of heaven and earth coming together is really important in all our thinking about our forever life with Jesus, as we're not escaping earth to go to some place up above, but rather the glory of God is coming down to us and making all things new here. We recently got a book for our kids, a um, really long title, The Awesome, Super, Fantastic, Forever Party, a true story about heaven, Jesus, and the best invitation of all. Um, this is one of the best kind of children's books because it's written for anyone, no matter what your age. Um, See so if you don't have children, go out and get yourself a copy of this. Um, one of the best pictures in it is this illustration um, that says, first of all, Jesus said that one day heaven will be here. When Jesus comes back to the world, he will bring heaven with him. And you can see there's two hands of representing heaven and earth and two balls being squished together. Imagine heaven and earth coming together. And this is a picture the Bible gives us of what it will be like. 
This illustration is so striking, it's so right, because heaven and earth come together. There is a new creation coming here. And when we start to think about that, we can start to think about what that means for our own bodies. Um, I'll show you one more page from this book, as it says it well. When Jesus makes all things new, Jesus will give you a new body. It will be shining and splendorous, and you'll run faster and be stronger than you thought possible. Blind people will see, lame people will dance, deaf people will hear, and people whose minds sometimes struggle will enjoy minds that work just right all the time. So this illustration is of people's bodies being made well. On the left, you can see people with all different kinds of things that, um, that aren't right with their bodies, that need healing. And on the left, their bodies as they're made well in the new creation. There's a little girl who's walking with crutches. And on the next page, she's skipping and she's pulling the hands of a woman who had been in a wheelchair before. Um, this picture is especially poignant because the author of this story is Johnny Erickson Tata. And she's a woman who's been paralyzed for the past 55 years. She had an accident when she was 17 and she's been in a wheelchair ever since. And she wrote this story because she wanted people to believe what she believes, that one day she won't be in this wheelchair. One day she will have a new body and she will be restored in the new creation. So Jesus had a bodily resurrection. He has taken humanity with him into heaven. And one day he will finally unite heaven and earth back together. And with that comes our own bodily resurrection. So we know instinctively this is really good news. Most of us need new bodies, physically and mentally. Um, probably Aurora has the best body of all of us right now. <laughs> She's the, the newest and youngest. Most of us, though, have one more ache or pain that we'd like to be rid of. And in this life, those aches and pains just grow for all of us. So the hope that one day our bodies will be made new is incredible. It's especially good news for those of us who suffer from physical handicaps and mental disabilities. Jesus comes with healing in his wings. But the hope that Jesus gives us is not just that we'll all be healthy and young again. It is even better. It is a hope that our bodies will be remade into new kinds of resurrected bodies, bodies that are like the risen body of Jesus. Paul says now that our bodies are like seeds of what is to come. In the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson translates the passage like this. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, and soon there's a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You can never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. This image of a seed is really helpful as it captures how our resurrection bodies will be made out of our existing ones, but something entirely new will happen still. There's continuity with our physical bodies now, but something new. We don't know exactly what these resurrection bodies will look like. Paul goes on to say that just as God has given different kinds of glory to our physical forms of humans, of animals, of fish, birds, sun, moon, and stars, so God will give a new kind of glory to our risen bodies. Paul does not say just what that is, but if we're curious to know more, we might get a hint of this if we look at what Jesus was like when he was risen. 
Now Jesus looked like himself still. He was a man, and his friends like Mary recognized him, especially when he called their names. Jesus ate, and he drank, and he walked with his friends, but his body was not bound by the same limits we have now. He could come, and he could go suddenly. He could appear behind walls and locked doors. The physical rules of the universe no longer applied to him. Once death was overturned, the old rules no longer applied. We do not know just how God will make our resurrection bodies, but perhaps they will be like that of Jesus. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, which is the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, Lewis has this incredible imaginative exploration of what our bodies will be like in the new creation. Um, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it for you if you haven't read it, but it has been out for like 70 years, so I hope it's okay to break it. Um, so at the end of the book, um, all the characters from all the various stories meet up together in the new Narnia, and one of the oldest characters, Lord Diggory, says that he and Polly chiefly felt like they'd been unstiffened. He says to the younger ones, you youngsters won't understand, but we stopped feeling old. Now Jill, the youngest one, pipes up. Youngsters, indeed, I don't believe that you two really are much older than we are here. Later, when Tyrion, the last king of Narnia, sees the seven kings and queens before him, he is astonished when he recognizes Jill, where he had last seen Jill in the dirt and tears of the Battle of Old Narnia. But suddenly, Jill looked cool and fresh, as fresh as if she had just come from bathing. At first, Tyrion thought she looked older, but then he didn't, and then he can never make up his mind about that point. It's a lovely idea, isn't it? That of looking older and younger at once. The writer George MacDonald has the same idea in his story, The Princess and the Goblin. The great-great-great-grandmother meets the young princess, and she says, it is so silly of people to fancy that old age means crookedness and witheredness and feebleness. It's so silly. Old age has nothing whatsoever to do with that. The right old age means strength and beauty and mirth and courage and clear eyes and strong, painless limbs. These are the kind of characters Lewis is depicting at the end of the last battle. Tyrion and Jill and the ones who were once old now begin running fast and not growing tired. They climb up waterfalls and they have no fear. Their bodies aren't just restored to their younger selves, but they're made new in their very nature. Elsewhere, C.S. Lewis describes it like this. The resurrection narratives are not a picture of survival after death. They record how a totally new mode of being has arisen in the universe. Something new has appeared in the universe, as new as the first coming of organic life. Something new will happen in the universe with our physical resurrections, but this newness will still be carrying on from our actual bodies now. And sometimes in our everyday lives, we get hints of that newness that one day will break forth. It happens with miracles when people are healed through prayer and the dead are even raised. And it happens in more ordinary ways, and we can see sometimes that our human bodies are capable of amazing feats. It's like when you watch the Olympics. Those athletes are ski jumping off mountains and they're running at unbelievable speeds and they're somersaulting their bodies with quadruple twists in the air. And I watch that and I'm 
utterly amazed that a human being, that a woman like myself, um, well, she's probably much younger and much better, but still, a woman like myself is doing these things. Olympic athletes are doing things with their bodies that only a minuscule fraction of humanity can ever do. But maybe in the new creation, we'll all be able to do this. Or it is like when you hear someone singing in an astounding way. A couple of weeks ago, my daughters discovered a Shakira song through a movie we watched. So we downloaded that song. And if you have kids, you might know that when kids like a song, you hear that song over and over again. So I've never listened to Shakira before now. Um, most of my music is like the broody singer-songwriter type where the singers can't actually sing. Um, but I've listened to Shakira with them and, and hearing the power of her voice over and over again in our car the past week. I've been amazed at how rich and full her voice is. And then I started wondering if maybe we too might be able to sing like that in the new creation. Or maybe sing like an opera singer if you have more highbrow music tastes. Um, I'm just wondering here, but I think this passage of scripture supports this idea and that our new bodies will be capable of so much more than we can imagine now. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 3:2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so I wonder if these incredible things that we've seen athletes or singers or dancers doing, things that their bodies are capable, these things stir our hearts because we know that our bodies are meant for so much more. What we will be has not yet been made known, but hints of it are starting to break out. However, all this glory to come isn't just that we can launch new careers as Olympic athletes or pop stars, the new creation. It's so we can be even more like Jesus. Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of earth, so we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. We are given new bodies so we can lose our similarity to Adam, the first man who fell, and be made to look like Jesus, the first man who rose. Our resurrection bodies are a way that we are brought even closer to Jesus. Charles Wesley said it like this, and hark the herald angels sing, Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. So where does that leave us today? We have to ask ourselves, whose image are we going to bear one day? The man of earth or the man of heaven? Have we come to Jesus to be made new? And if we have, can we keep on trusting him for the work he's doing? And one day he will finish that work. We still have bodies now that get sick and get tired and get worn down with our failing parts and minds. We will all still face death unless Jesus comes before then. But if we have accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus, we have such great hope. We do not have to fear our bodies decline and decay. We can wait and watch patiently. We can care for our bodies and tend for them as the seeds they are the seeds of a new creation. We know that our physical life here is just the beginning of a new, somehow even more physical life that is to come, when all shall be made well, because we shall be with the one who makes all things well. Now we have great hope then, as we watch and wait to be with him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.